Welcome. Here at Waterstone, we focus on living and loving like Jesus. In practice, this means that we connect with one another, engage in justice, and serve others sacrificially. We are so glad that you're here and invite you to join us in person. If you're able to attend weekend services, we gather on Saturday at 5.30 and Sunday at 9 and 10.30. Good morning, Waterstone. My name is Madison Campbell, and for those of you who don't know me, I used to be on staff here as the Connections Pastor, and now I have the privilege of working for an organization called Alpha, which is a globally based organization. Some of you have heard of the Alpha Course, but I also get to be still a part of the preaching team here at Waterstone. So I am so happy to see all of your faces this morning. And for those of you who are joining us online, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Will you pray with me as we jump in to this morning? Come Holy Spirit. God, we trust you and your will and your way. Father, I ask that you will use me this morning to speak your truth and your will, for we know that you are active and alive, and we thank you. Meet with us this morning. In your holy name I pray, amen. So this past week, I had the privilege of being in London with a group of pastors and church leaders from all over the United States and Latin America and Europe. And it was a wonderful time of getting to hear a little bit of what the global church looks like today. It it was so interesting hearing some of the reflections of other pastors from across the United States talking about how COVID really has impacted some of our congregations in more ways than one and wrestling through where is our culture going and what are the needs. But then what I will say was so encouraging and, and so different was hearing some of the reflections of pastors in the UK talk about where their churches have been and where they're going. And and I noticed some pretty key differences between the American church and the church abroad. One of those is that, honestly, in the UK, and especially in England, the church is not a wealthy institution. (laughs) In fact, many of the pastors that I talked with are actually bivocational because their congregations are not large enough and also just not cued into giving to be able to sustain the salary of a pastor. And yet, they are so committed to helping transform their communities that these pastors are working in other places so that they can bring the word of God on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night for the people in their communities. Another deep contrast that we have is that The church in the UK really does not have any significant cultural influence. It's not cool to be a pastor. You aren't revered in any way, shape, or form. You don't get some social clout if you say, I work for the church. In fact, if anything, you probably get a sideways turn of, oh, I'm sorry. That's generally people's reaction because the UK is so post-Christian, they're actually more pre-Christian than anything. There's just not an association with the church that is positive or even really neutral. It's just, oh, well, that exists and it's good for you. But what is amazing is that the church in the UK and in Europe has story after story after story of deep life transformation that is happening, of prophetic words that are being spoken and relationships restored and healings, physical healings of people 
one after another after another. There is, is an abundance of the spirit moving in the church in the UK. Even though it is small, by our standards, it is big and it is filling communities and changing and transforming them. See, I think in the United States, we've been used to one type of norm, and our culture, whether we want it to or not, is really rejecting Christendom. We are becoming increasingly more and more post-Christian, but one of the things that we do have currently is a certain space of wealth. I mean, we have beautiful buildings. We're not hurting to sustain those things. And we still have pretty significant influence within our culture. We have a contrast to the church in the UK, but one of the things that I see that we might be lacking in are some of the stories of the movement of the Spirit. Some of those rich places where, where the Spirit is welling up and changing and transforming our communities and our churches. A recent study, well, that's not quite published yet, but it's coming out soon about reviving evangelism in the next generation, is a study done by Barna where they surveyed over a thousand students in the United States asking them a series of questions about life and faith and spirituality. And one of the things that the Barna study found is that only one-third of students today, so Generation Z, which is basically 10 years old to about 25, believes that Jesus is alive and active in the world today. Only one-third of students believe that Jesus is alive and active today in the United States. That should be convicting and motivating for every single person in this room because that is you and I moving in this world. Students are not encountering Jesus Christ who is alive and active in this world because we're not moving in some way that they are encountering the presence of Jesus Christ. We serve a living God and yet people aren't experiencing that. I think that in many ways, you and I, we, as the U.S. church, have settled for silver and gold when we have so much more to offer the world around us. I, I think that this is pretty perfectly summed up in a conversation that's attributed to Thomas Aquinas and Pope Innocent II. It goes like this. You see, Thomas, said the Pope, the church can no longer say, silver and gold have I none. True, Holy Father, said Thomas, and neither can she now say, arise and walk. We've settled for silver and gold, but we have been given the spirit of the living God, and we have so much more to offer our communities and the world around us. So the question that I want to pose to you this morning is what have we been given and how might we use that? Well, I want to go back to the passage and recap a little bit of what we saw in Acts 3. So Peter and John are going to the temple for afternoon prayers like they did most days of the week. And they see a beggar who we're told a little bit later in the passage, is familiar to everyone, 
who's likely been at the beautiful gate day after day because the only way that he was able to sustain his life was by receiving alms from generous beneficiaries. See, in in those times, there was no other line of work that someone who was lame from birth could employ. So he was dependent on the people around him to give him money so that he wouldn't die. And in this moment, we see a startling pause where Peter looks at him and asks him, look me in the eyes. And this man who is currently expecting to receive money is given so much more. He looks up and it says in verse 6, silver and gold I don't have. What you are expecting to receive I don't have, but what I do have I give to you. Now in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And this man, it says he leaps up. And and we know that Luke was a medical individual and so the description that happens here is that his bones are actually fixed and healed. The sinews come together so that he is made well. This is not a momentary adrenaline rush where he can jump up, but a day later he can't walk. What, what Luke really is trying to tell us is that this man is fully healed in the name of Jesus. And then Peter takes his time because it's made a huge spectacle to preach the gospel to the group that's gathered wondering why is this man so joyful? Why is he jumping around? What has happened? And Peter preaches. And the gospel is heard. What have we been given? What have you been given? We have been given authority in the name of Jesus. I want to pause because the name of Jesus is something that's very familiar to those of us who maybe sit in this room every Sunday. But what the ancient writers are trying to indicate to us is something a little bit more. See, knowing the name of someone doesn't mean, oh, I can pronounce that and I know it. What, what the ancient writer is saying is actually that having the name, carrying the name of someone means that you are their messenger. If you are being sent on behalf of someone, you are going in alignment with their mission, with their will, and with all of the authority. See, it's like a king who has taken his signet ring off and given it to a messenger. Anyone who encounters the person who has the signet ring of the king, the regent, knows that this person has been sent with all of the authority, all of the will, all of the mission of the sender. You and I have been marked with the spirit of the living God. We have been given the signet ring. And so we go with all of the authority. Jesus says that on all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Now go. He sends us in that. See, we, when we use the name of Jesus, are given the authority as his representatives in keeping with his character and in keeping with his mission. We are the conduits of the kingdom of heaven. Now, I think that this authority is is shown in two particular streams in this passage. First, we have the message 
of Jesus. And then we have the manifestation of Jesus' power. So what is the message? Well, I think it's, it's two dominant things that we see through Peter's sermon later in this passage. It's forgiveness first, and then restoration and refreshment. Forgiveness is something you and I are, are familiar with. If you've spent any time in church, we've heard about the forgiveness of sins and how Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross that we might be forgiven. But it's not just our sins. It's the sins of the world that Jesus has forgiven. And this is part of the authority that we come in is the ability to proclaim forgiveness in the name of Jesus. But I know that we live in a culture and in a society that doesn't necessarily feel or need forgiveness. Right? We, we live in a place that says, well, you do you, and as long as you don't hurt anyone else around you, you're fine, right? But we know that there, there is a need for forgiveness, so how, how do we bridge that gap? Well, I, I live with a bit of a kleptomaniac, you, you all might know my husband, Elliot. He's on staff here. We unfortunately have uh, given birth to a daughter who loves to grab anything and everything in her reach. And recently, that has become a little bit of a problem when I go shopping. If I turn my back and she's sitting in the cart and she's anywhere near something her little hands can grab, I suddenly am wanting to buy protein or an outfit that I had no idea I needed. Now, my daughter, who's 11 months old, is completely ignorant to the fact that taking things without paying for them is wrong. But does that make her any less innocent of stealing? I know she's only 11 months old. But just because she's ignorant doesn't mean she's innocent. In our world today, we have a message of forgiveness to those who are ignorant that they need forgiveness. However, you and I have all experienced the hurt of someone else wronging us, the brokenness of this world, and our inability to explain why other than sin and the need of forgiveness. So in the name of Jesus, we get to proclaim the kingdom that forgives and restores. This is the second part of the authority that we've been given, is we get to proclaim new life in the name of Jesus. Peter goes on as he, as he tells the people, the crowd who's gathered, hey, you crucified Jesus, but the good news is he's offered you forgiveness. So repent that you might be refreshed. Because restoration comes now, but it's also coming in the end. The authority that you and I have been given in the name of Jesus is that we get to proclaim and preach the good news that God is reconciling all things to himself. There is power in the message of restoration and reconciliation. When we carry the spirit of the living God, the signet ring that the king has given us, we have been given the authority to preach and proclaim the good news. But it's not just 
that. It is also, and I want to really lean into this this morning, the manifestation of Jesus' power. And in this passage particularly, we see a very obvious form through physical healing. Some of you might be wondering, well, but does God really heal today? Yes, God heals today. I was just in the UK where I heard story after story of people who are being physically healed in the name of Jesus. This is not whether God is moving. This is where God is moving. And I can tell you the spirit is alive. I have a friend who in high school suddenly began to have a gluten intolerance. And I, I feel really badly because now reflecting on it, she had celiac, but it was really before celiac was well known. And so every time we would have pizza or burritos or something, she, she would be sitting to the side eating a bag of blueberries or trying to find some corn chips or something like that. And, and it really was a source of social isolation for her because gluten-free items were not readily available, but she also wasn't fully diagnosed until later. And so it was really hard for her to interact in certain situations. And I remember one year she, she had gone to India and was doing some missions work and came back and I was hearing about her trip. She said, Madison, I had someone come up to me who I didn't know, and say, hey, I think I'm supposed to pray for healing for you. She was like, okay, <laughs> cool. And they prayed that her gluten intolerance would be gone. Jackie now eats pizza all the time, and not the gluten-free kind. Praise God for pizza, right? She was healed <laughs> of celiac. This is modern day. This is one of my friends who very clearly couldn't have something and now is fine. She was healed in the name of Jesus. This is the authority that you and I have been given. But the other place that this also happens is through transformation. This past week, one of the questions that was posed to us was, when was the first time Jesus became real to you? I have a, a few moments in my life where I can say my eyes were opened wide and I knew Jesus was real. One of these was when I was living in Washington. I was working as a pastor on a staff in a little town called Gig Harbor. And we were running the Alpha course. And I met a man named Kevin the first day there. And Kevin was kind but he was pretty depressed and kept everyone at arm's distance. He wouldn't engage you much. He, he was pretty isolated in his life and, and relatively skeptical. Kevin had gone through the Afghanistan war and it had left him pretty angry at the world. And week after week, I got to get to know Kevin a little bit more. And about six weeks in, I remember him coming up to me before Alpha had started and saying, Madison, come here. I'm like, okay, Kevin. <laughs> he said, I went on a walk with Jesus. I was like, oh, tell me about that. He's like, yeah. I just decided one day that I needed to walk with him. So I went out and I said, if you're there, I want to follow you. 
I follow Jesus now. And I watched Kevin go from isolated in despair, pretty depleted in his livelihood, to joy-filled, telling others about who Jesus was. He became socially connected and part of a community that he was contributing to. But not only that, Kevin then went on to tell his wife and his three children about who Jesus was. I watched a man go from isolated and depressed to joy-filled and connected in community because of the transforming power of the gospel. This is the movement of the Spirit that is happening here and now. This is the authority in the name of Jesus that you and I have been given. So I have a question to pose to you. We, we know that we've been given authority through the message in the manifestation of Jesus' power. But, but I want you to really consider this. Do you want to see the Lord move? Do you want to see the Lord move? Not in someone else's life because you get to witness it, not because you just get to hear another story, but do you want to participate in the way that the Lord is moving here and now? Do you want to see the Lord move? Yes. I love hearing that. Thank you for the participation in this. This is significant. See, we have been given the spirit of the living God to manifest the power of Jesus through his message, through his transformative power. There's one really crucial aspect that we can't neglect or forget in this because it's not a formula of if I have the message and if I have the spirit, then I can do this. And this really important element is dependence. Total dependence on God. Because remember, this is his mission. This is his kingdom coming through us. So we have to depend on him to show up. In verse 12 of this, I think Peter puts this pretty perfectly as the crowd is coming around and they are marveling of, oh my gosh, what is going on? He asks them this, if we can pull it up. It says, Peter, when he saw this, said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. So why do you marvel as if it's by our own power? It is by the power of the living God who has given us his spirit that these things happen. And this is really good news. Because it means that anyone here who follows Christ has been given this authority and you're invited to experience it and step into it, but you don't have to make the outcome happen. See, this is based on his power, not on the strength of my faith. 
but that helps. We are dependent on God to bring about his mission, but he has sent us. So you are called to be faithful, not to make an outcome happen. Do you live a dependent life? Ask yourself, when was the last time I did something that would fail unless God showed up? Or what in my life requires faith right now? Some of you might be in a season where you're saying, oh my gosh, everything I do requires faith and I don't know what's going on. I say, God is meeting you there. Others of you may not know a time when you've had to exercise faith. And I, I want to press into that and, and challenge us this morning to really step into a place of dependence. To see where God is moving and to join in with him. Others of you might be saying to yourself, yeah, Madison, this is all great. I have prayed in faith in the name of Jesus, for this person to be healed. I've never seen it. It didn't work. I want to go back to the passage for this. The man who was at the gate beautiful were told that the people recognized him when he was leaping about, which means that he was there frequently. This is right after Jesus was crucified and ascended into heaven. Which means that more likely than not, Jesus himself walked past this man many times and never healed him. I can't answer why some people are healed in certain times and why others are not. What I can say is that too frequently when we don't see one prayer answered, we give up. Or we lower our expectations because we don't want to be disappointed or we don't want someone else to be disappointed because we've put all of the pressure of an outcome onto our shoulders. So we stop praying. God, I'm not going to be disappointed if I don't pray at all because nothing's going to happen. We stop putting ourselves out there because we're like, whoa, if something fails, I, I don't want to have the weight of that. You are not God, but you've been given the spirit of a living God to do his mission and bidding. And he is at work and alive today. You've been called to live a dependent life as his messenger to do his will and work, to bring his mission here on earth. So I ask again, do you live a dependent life? Peter and John, this was not just a one-time occasion of, okay, we're going to try praying for this one person, and whew, we got one person healed, we got a 100% track record, we're out. This was an everyday lifestyle. You and I are called in every day to be dependent on God because he is moving every day. I want to challenge you 
today to, to look at your lives and ask, what does it practically look like to live by faith? Some areas that you can think through, your prayer life. Is there someone that you can be constantly interceding for, praying that change or transformation will come in their lives? Maybe the next time you hear somebody vocalize a need, you pause and ask them, hey, can I pray for you for that? Knowing that you've been given the spirit of the living God and the authority of the name of Jesus Christ, and that you are freed from making an outcome happen, but you are called to be faithful in that space. Oh, I want to challenge you to risk the awkward for the eternal because it's so worth it. This week, can you put spiritual ears on to hear, who can I be praying for? Financially, when was the last time you gave sacrificially where you had to depend on God to show up? I want to challenge you to give to receive in ways that make you dependent on God. What about circumstances? Is there a, a circumstance that you can pray boldly to change? And if you're thinking to yourself, well, I, but I don't even know how to pray boldly. We are never going to get better at praying if we never practice, if we never try. It can be as simple as, God, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know that you've given me your spirit, so will you change this in your name and by your will? As simple as that. What about a relationship? Is there someone who needs to know the love of Jesus? That in the name of Jesus, you can bring a message, an invitation. I know some of you made invitations to Alpha, and that was stepping out in faith. Again, you are not in control of the outcome, but you were faithful in pursuing that relationship. And I want to say, good job. Keep going. Because when I hear stories of what God is doing in the global church, it is so worth it. None of us sits here as we hear the ways that the Lord is moving and go, cool. I'm glad that's happening somewhere else. Wouldn't you love to have that happening here at Waterstone? That starts with you. Every single one of you is called to preach the gospel, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in Littleton, in Denver, and beyond. You have been given the authority of Jesus Christ to heal in his name. People will be transformed by hearing the good news. It is worth it. My life was changed when I saw Kevin's life changed. And I will never go back to living an unlively life because he was worth it for the kingdom. Your neighbor is worth the risk. Your pride is worth the risk because God is on the move. And he has invited you to join with him in that by giving you his spirit.
So this morning, we're going to take some time to take communion. I can't think of a better way to be reminded of God's sacrifice for us that we might live. Maybe this is a place of repentance. Have you been a, a disobedient messenger? Maybe this is a place of discernment. God, where are you calling me to live a dependent life? Maybe this is a space of listening and just saying, God, I, I don't know what this means for my life. Or just to be reminded that we are filled with the Spirit. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup and after supper said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Will you pray with me? And when you're ready, there are elements in the front and in the back that you can get in your own timing. Lord Jesus, we come before you. Father, we repent because we have not valued the gift that you have given us. We have not realized or recognized that you have sent us. Lord, I ask that you will show us where you are moving. And God, in the places where we are in need of faith, will you guide us gently and show us your goodness? Because God, we know that you are alive and active. Holy Spirit, will you come and move in this space? Move in our hearts and let us see the kingdom come here on earth. In your holy and righteous and matchless name we pray. Amen.